0: Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz Today. Primary day in Indiana. Holy crap, get out there and vote. I know it's been a little rainy, a little garbagey. But still, you've got till 6 o'clock in in most places, so you've got time. You'll figure it out. I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to figure it out because I came to the studio today. So, uh, and then I've got uh, events and I've got a meeting. And so I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get it all done. I really am. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What's going on? Eric Berman joins us. Chale- chief, not Chalif, chief political correspondent at 93 WIBC. Uh, and, you know, it, it, very often primaries come and go and, and they, they don't get enough attention and certainly they don't get enough voters. It seems the primary day this year a little bit different Now i know you'll be covering everything well into the evening at wibc and com. but is it is it am i off base or has there been a little more talk about the primaries because we've got whether it's the ninth district in congress or some of the prosecutor uh races we got a lot of people talking about a lot of things
1: you know i do think it's about on par with what we typically see i mean the the turnout for the uh, the midterm primary four years ago was 16 percent, which uh which, let's face it, is A, pathetic, and B, for a primary, actually pretty good, because it's about half that four years before that. People don't turn out unless the presidential race is on the ballot. Um, So people will turn out. it's, It's unfortunate because where I would agree with what you said is there are some very significant races on the ballot this year. You know, Indiana usually does not have terribly exciting congressional races because most of the districts aren't competitive in the fall, and it's rare in in any district, in any state, that somebody retires. Well, you've got one of each of those things this year for the first time in a while. Trey Hollingsworth is retiring down in the southeast, and so that's an open seat that a lot of people are running for. And the first district, which the Republicans have not won since 1928, is considered to be competitive this year. Most of the uh, the, the rating uh, rating groups out there, uh, so Sabato's Crystal Ball, and the Cook Political Report, and so so forth. They all have it as lean Democrat. So that one's very competitive. And in a district where Republicans generally haven't even made an effort a few years back, they didn't even have a candidate. um, You've got a couple of uh, well-funded, very serious candidates trying to get that nomination. So there's definitely, I think, higher stakes this year. I'm not sure that, except for people like you and me who follow this closely, I'm not sure people grasp how high the stakes are.
0: Well, let's talk about what you mean by high stakes. Uh, you know, you and I look at it from two very different purchases. Perches. You you look at it as a journalist, an actual journalist. I look at it uh, via commentary. So, how do you um, stack up the stakes?
1: It's high state, particularly in the first district. That's the easiest one because we, India. I said we that. Uh, th- The Republicans haven't flipped that district since 1928. No one has flipped a House district in Indiana since 2010 when Todd Young won his House seat from Barron Hill. So it's been a very stable environment. We're on the second set of maps since Todd Young won that race. It's very unusual for a race to switch parties in this state. And of course, any time a seat switches parties, that has effect on who controls the House. Republicans think they can take the House this year. Most people think that they're favored to retake the House. And so that is one of the seats that's going to determine which party is in the majority. So there's huge stakes there for both parties. Democrats want to keep the seat the Republicans in order to flip the seat need to nominate someone who can win it of course primaries are in part about figuring out which candidate can win it the the other thing that's interesting this year you know let, well, let's be clear there's no chance that the Republicans are going to lose the General Assembly they're going to keep the house they will probably by July when ballot vacancies are filled they will probably be mathematically assured of keeping the Senate The only real question is how big is the majority going to be and is it still going to be a supermajority? But the question in this primary is you've got, as you always do, a bunch of primary challenges. And a lot of people have said, you know, there's more primary challenges than usual this year. Now, this is the new normal. This is about the third straight year where you've had about this many. What's different this year is that all the challenges are one way. Usually, the challenges are about proportional to, again, most of the seats are Republican, most of the challenges are Republican. This year, almost all the challenges are on the Republican side. There's 19 House Republicans who have primary challengers. That's not even counting the ones who got thrown into districts with other incumbents. 19 incumbents facing challengers trying to unseat them. That's a lot, and most of them will probably win. That's uh, typically been the pattern. There's no reason to expect that that will change. But some of them are, are, I'm not saying I know X is going to lose. I'd say odds are you'll see two or three of those uh, go to the challenger. And the question is, A, which one, and B, what does that do to the makeup of the House. Do you replace a conservative Republican with a more conservative Republican? Or do you replace a Republican with uh, somebody who is not as conservative? That, that it, It's going to make a difference in what Todd Houston or whoever the speaker is next year has to deal with
0: talking to Eric Berman, Chief Political Correspondent at 93 WIBC if you could, you may not have it off the top of your head, are there one or two races where you're looking at like wow a primary would be, would be a huge uh, sea change, this would be something that people could go my gosh, look what just happened there
1: I don't think there's anything that would be a sea change. Um, There's a couple that I'm certainly looking at. Uh, One down on the south side of Indianapolis, you you talk about things people are are talking about. We've had a lot of radio ads from both sides of the John Jacob race. John Jacob is state representative from southern Indiana. His district used to stretch a little bit into Johnson County. It's now, I'm sorry, I said southern Indiana, southern Indianapolis. Um, But he's on on the south side. He was the one. One person who knocked off an incumbent two years ago, won that race by less than 100 votes. And I think it's fair to say that John Jacob has been controversial in the House. There have been a lot of 98 to 2 votes in the House where John Jacob has taken a very hard line and saying, this, this goes against my, my principles. We, we should be go, going way further on this and I'm not going to vote for it. So he's been in the side for leadership. I think that that's fair to say, but he's got a devoted base of supporters and you've got an opponent who, it's not even a case so much of saying that you've got a conservative versus someone less. So you've got an opponent in Julie McGuire who is campaigning on, look, this guy is voting against things that are conservative. How do you call yourself a conservative if you're voting against bills that, uh, that 98 representatives or, or 69 Republican representatives are in favor of. So it's one of those races that defines what do you want out of your legislator? and That's it. That's where that one is going to go. And you know, I don't have any predictions on any of these races because there's no polling in a race like that, but that's definitely something we're going to be watching closely tonight.
0: And for me, uh, I'm certainly watching in the seventh district congressional uh, uh, about um, you know who's going to take on Andre Carson and uh, a real question there about whether the the Republican Party is is prepared to invest in that. Uh, but that's not necessarily a conversation for you. I think what's happening in the ninth district, who's going to replace Trey Hollingsworth, and then this we go to the to the first district, uh, uh, who's going to run against uh, Frank uh, uh, Mervan. Um, right uh the, the the democrat the incumbent he does have a primary challenge but that's not going to amount to anything you've got jennifer ruth green who is an air force veteran black woman republican and blair milo who was the mayor of laporte and and somebody within uh eric holcomb's circle and universe orbit i should say uh and they're both candidates for that district a winner there. It, it, they may not win the, the 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 whole congressional race, but they're certainly setting themselves up for an interesting career uh, in in Indiana politics.
1: Yeah, I I think that's right. What fascinates me about both of those races is both of them remind me of the race where Trey Hollingsworth first won his seat a few years ago, Remember, Aaron Houchin, the uh, former state senator from Salem, is one of the candidates down in the ninth. And remember, she ran for that seat once before when, you know, that's Todd Young's old seat, which we just referenced. Todd Young retired, open seat, much like this year, lots of candidates, but Aaron Houchin was in that race and Greg Zeller, the Attorney General, was in that race. And the feeling going in was, here's your your two high-powered uh, Republican candidates with uh, with long resumes, deep ties in the party. Uh, Aaron Houchin locked down a bunch of Republic, a bunch of endorsements early, and then Trey Hollingsworth came in out of nowhere, essentially self-funded, ran as an outsider, and in a split vote won the race and has been in the House ever since. It looks a lot like history repeating itself in, but not necessarily in the outcome, but in terms of the dynamic. That's what you've got in both the first and the ninth. Blair Milo was the, the recruited Republican candidate up in the first. She was mayor of Laporte, as you said. She was showing up on rising political star list when she was in her twenties. Um, resigned the, the mayoralty when uh, Governor Holcomb created a cabinet position for her. Um, c- career development and. Uh, Excuse me, Secretary of Career Development. Um, so she's gone back up there. What was the uh, the quote unquote establishment candidate? And Jennifer Ruth Green, not self funding, but uh, comes out of nowhere with a story to tell as a veteran, um, raised a lot of money, and is very much making that a race. And then you've got deja vu in the ninth, where Aaron Houchin is running again, locked up endorsements early. But Mike Sodrel, the former congressman from that district, um, trying to make a comeback, and so it's not a walkover. She did not clear the field, and you've got once again an outsider veteran, Stu Barnes-Israel. Both uh, he and Jennifer Ruth Green have gotten some high-profile endorsements. The former Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, endorsed both of them. I believe Senator Tom Cotton from Arkansas endorsed both of them. So you've got that same dynamic coming out where do people turn their backs on the person who can say, here's my record, and turn to the person who says, we need an outsider to come in and shake things up?
0: coverage tonight at wibc wibc.com when does that start
1: uh we go on the air at 702 the polls close at six o'clock but remember there's about a dozen counties that are on central time so six o'clock there is seven o'clock here we'll take there, take air once the polls are closed
0: and I will have the full breakdown in the morning in case, in case you can't stay up uh, that late. Go take a nap. Eric Berman, chief political correspondent, at 93WIBC. I appreciate you taking the time. More coming up, I'm Tony Katz.:
2: This speech is my recital. I think it's very vital to rock That's right on it's it's yeah,
0: top.: to The Smackdown Ron DeSantis on Trevor Noah. Now, when I first heard the story, I'm like, I don't even understand what the big deal is. Trevor Noah was there at the White House Correspondence Dinner, and he told a joke about Ron DeSantis. You see, the way you win an election is uh, you, you get rid of all the math textbooks, and that way people don't know how to count, and that's how you win. Ha, 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 It's funny. Oh, Trevor Noah is such a putt. Holy, holy crap. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, Twitter, Tony Katz, get her Tony Katz, Instagram, Tony Katz, tonykatz.locals.com. But one of the things that he said, foolishly, foolishly, uh, this was um, Trevor Noah talking about Ron DeSantis, is he said that Ron DeSantis was, was in the room. Why in the world did he say that Ron DeSantis was in the room? It's it's very it, it was very strange, very very odd. Because Trevor Noah was hosting the White House Correspondents' Dinner, and he said that that Governor DeSantis was there, and DeSantis was like, what the hell? He said, one of my favorites, Ron DeSantis, is here. Oh, man, I'm actually surprised that he found the time. You know, he's been so busy trying to outmaneuver Trump for 2024. I see you, Ron. I see you, player. And DeSantis is like, I would never attend that. I have no interest in that garbage. It shows you why that cabal people in D.C. New York is so reviled by so many Americans. I think it's a reputation that's been well-deserved. So picture the argument that DeSantis is making here. The joke he doesn't care about, he doesn't want to be seen as somebody who would attend the White House correspondence Dinner. And that's more damaging to his potential presidential run than any joke said about him. The answer of who cares, producer Ari, is many people who may ask him questions about it, and now he has to answer himself. So he has to now go on. He Yes, people are going to ask, why would you attend the White House Correspondents' Dinner? Are you on the inside the outside? It's all those kinds of things. This is a carefully crafted bit of messaging he's been doing in setting up his persona and, and setting up the kind of person he is and the reason you would vote for him over, let's say, a Donald Trump. He can't have that dashed. By people trying to cut out his legs from under him. That's I mean, th- these are these are uh the facts. It would be totally elitist for him to be at the White House Correspondence Dinner. So $2 it does that's that's the part that's inconsequential. Trump is worth a billion, maybe. That's that's not the argument. The argument is you don't want to be there. Elitism is not about money. Elitism is about attitude. There are plenty of people, let's talk about journalists, who don't have $52 million or $5 million or $52 in their bank account, but they are elitist snobs who think they're better and should be able to dictate to everybody else how they think and what they read. Elitism is not about money. It's never been about money. It's about attitude. It's about believing that you are better, that you know more, that others should have to listen to you beginning to end that's what it's all about I think the real question is why in the world would um, why in the world would he say uh, that um, DeSantis is here when he's not ba- bad intel you know whether he's there or not he said I see you I see you player Wait, but people might think that he actually sees him, right? It's very, very weird. Very weird. I got to get more into this disinformation board. I mean, everything with the abortion conversation and, and the, the, the possible overturning of Roe v. Wade is, has taken a lot of, of of oxygen out of the room. And holy crap, President Biden aggressively trying to pressure the Supreme Court. This is this is gross. Biden is gross. His statement, I'll, I'll I'll share it with you. Just madness. And then Chuck Schumer is out there screaming and yelling. Of course, uh, the leak uh, that uh, uh, the court is going to overturn Roe v. Wade. We're going to demand a vote. We're going to demand a vote on 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 abortion rights in 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 America. And we're going to put every senator on the record so people know where they stand. Do you think? That Republican senators aren't going to say where they stand? What are you nuts? Of course they're going to say where they stand. What? What kind of crazy? You think they're worried about being on the record? Name for me the Republican senator who's worried about being on the record. Hold on, seriously. Give me a, Mitt Romney isn't going to be worried about it. Uh, a, a Caputo there out of West Virginia. Susan Collins, Susan Collins isn't going to be worried about it at all. She's not going to be worried about it. In the slightest, what's what's going to be her argument? She believes it's a state's rights issue? That's going to cost her the election in Maine? You don't think they already knew this about her? You could make an argument. By the way, Susan Collins was a nice poll. You can make the argument that none of these people, that none of these people want to have to deal with this. And it was easier when it was up oh, as the federal government. What are we going to do? Well, you fight it, and you fight it, and you fight it, and you fight it. So to have to go on the record on this seems to be pretty low bar stuff, and certainly isn't the thing that so much changes where these people are. Susan Collins saying, "I, I, I, I'm, I'm pro life." I don't think costs remain, but does some a Democrat saying they're pro-choice hurt them in a state where they're already weak, like let's say a Colorado? Some interesting politics to play there. Remember, when you engage a a position like Chuck Schumer is, you have to deal with the consequences of your actions. Meanwhile, Biden, he's pressuring SCOTUS. This is un- unbelievable. And I will get into this more of this disinformation governance board. You gotta hear the latest. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. Congress must pass legislation that codifies Roe v. Wade as the law of the land in this country now. And if there aren't 60 votes in the Senate to do it, and there are not, we must end the filibuster to pass it with 50 votes. That, ladies and gentlemen, is your favorite communist Bernie Sanders, a punk and a loser if there ever was one. He's a commie who doesn't believe in law. He's a commie who doesn't believe in rights. He's a commie who says, I have to get what I want as I want it, no matter what it takes. All the rules are inconsequential if it keeps me from my goal that's the end of that Tony Katz Tony Katz today Bernie Sanders is amongst the worst and let's be clear he's a failure and a fool he's never done anything he's never created anything but he has three houses and was able to bankrupt a college or his wife did that but you know he probably had a hand he has never done anything he has never accomplished anything the people who follow him are fools following a fool let's get into the fight I want the fight I want these people to know how bad their guy is. But is he any worse than Chuck Schumer, who has decided to go to the floor, the well of the Senate, and pressure the Supreme Court? Of course, this is about the leak. Bernie Sanders is about the leak. The leak states that Justice uh, Samuel Alito has written a draft that says that the Supreme Court is going to overturn Roe v. Wade. It'll be a 5-3 vote, not sure yet where Justice John Roberts is on this, Chief Justice John Roberts. But that the court was wrong in its decision on Roe v. Wade, that uh, this must be returned to the states. And it got leaked. The leak is the story. Someone leaked from SCOTUS? People don't leak from SCOTUS. This is clearly political meant to put pressure on the court and sure enough sure as god made little green apples as my dad would say the political left is right there to apply pressure you've got people already protesting there at the supreme court i wonder when they start storming the supreme court if it'll be called an insurrection and representative liz cheney will bring people in for questioning I I no I, I, no no not probably these people they'll just be following their passions and 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 meant no harm they're looking at the abuse that's happening to the nation guaranteed that'll be the conversation producer Ari. guaranteed or your money back it was they didn't want to see what was happening to the nation so they will go about trying to uh pressure and threaten Supreme Court justices I wonder how many death threats Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett are getting today this was all meant to pressure them, this leak. Now, there's rumor out there that it came from a clerk, and, and I'm going to wait for that dust to settle, uh, and I'm not going to play in, in, in that game. Because I just, I just don't do that, guys. You, you know me by now. But I'll sure as hell point out that Chuck Schumer is threatening and pressuring SCOTUS with commentaries like
2: this. This is a dark and disturbing morning. For america last night a report disclosed that a conservative majority of the united states supreme court is ready to overturn roe v wade and uproot decades of precedent affirming a woman's right to an abortion if this report is accurate the supreme court is poised to inflict the greatest restriction of rights in the past 50 years not just on women but on all Americans under this decision, our children will have less rights than their parents. The Republican appointed justices reported votes to overturn Roe v. Wade will go down as an abomination. One of the worst, most damaging decisions in modern history. Several of these conservative justices who are in. no
0: Yeah, let me stop it
2: right there
0: um nice attack Chuck Schumer nice attack but you don't quite understand uh the history of the Supreme Court so for example where are you Chuck Schumer senator from New York on Plessy versus Ferguson Plessy versus Ferguson said separate but equal is just fine when it comes to education it upheld the constitutionality of segregation it took Brown versus Board of Ed to change that decision. But if we're going to listen to Chuck Schumer, it was settled. It was it was uh the precedent. How dare you undo precedent? Precedent was being a dry country with the eighteenth amendment only to be reversed by the 21st Amendment. And can I get a hand for the 21st <laughs> Amendment? A little something. A little something. Grab yourself bourbon, people, hot damn. Things get changed all the time. Maybe not all the time, but they do get changed. It happens after considerable thought. But the idea that something happens, so therefore that's the way it always is, is exactly how our Constitution does not work. It's exactly how the amendment process does not work. It's exactly how the Supreme Court does not work. Because conversation a different point of view, a new piece of information can change the thing based on the law. But you're not going to get that from somebody like Chuck Schumer. You are going to get flat-out threats, flat-out attacks of the Supreme Court pressuring. And now he's going a step further
2: He's going to hold the vote. I'll have more to say later this morning, but I want to make three things clear. First, now that the court is poised to strike down Roe, it is my intention for the Senate to hold a vote on legislation to codify the right to an abortion in law. Second, a vote on this legislation is not an abstract exercise. This is as urgent and real as it gets. We will vote to protect a woman's right to choose. And every American is going to see which side every senator stands. Every American is going to see on which side every senator stands.
0: As I said earlier, okay. But let me say, this is exactly the way this should work. If you want to craft legislation about legalizing abortion in the United States, okay, go to it. I can't stop you from that, you're lawmakers. Now go get it passed. Go get it done. Let's see where America is at. Producer Ari would would have me believe that the vast majority of Americans are okay with and want abortion. I would then question, how do they want it? Do they want it like the state of New York that actually favors infanticide? Or someone like Governor Ralph Northam, formerly of Virginia? Or do they want it safe, legal, and rare, which was the original catchphrase that quickly went away because these leftists would rather instead sing their abortion and actually believe in infanticide? I do not say, Producer Ari... That you can't actually craft legislation that America could go with. I'm not saying I would agree with it. I'm a pro-life guy. I'm just I'm looking at it honestly and realistically, and saying, oh, absolutely, it's possible. Absolutely, positively, it is possible. But that's not what the progressives want. The argument should be made not that hey, we're going to see where every senator is uh, on on the record. Why don't we take a look at the legislation first? Let's see what these progressives call for. Chuck Schumer puts out a statement, and you know it's it's like lawyers. Uh, the rule is never ask a question. What producer Ari? Don't know the answer that you don't know the answer to, producer Ari. By the way, we're in the same studio today. It's very exciting for producer Ari. He's very excited. You never ask a question you don't know the answer to. Here's a question for Chuck Schumer. Does he know the answer to this? What law will progressives vote for? What what law? We allow uh, abortion or we allow infanticide? Who performs such abortions? Covered by insurance? Uh, there, there are going to be a lot of questions. There going to be a lot of questions. Now we're going to see where Democrats are. You think this is a problem for for Republicans? Susan Collins of Maine is going to have a hard time explaining to her constituents why she's pro-life. Or if she goes the other way, pro-choice. No. Progressives are going to have to explain why they are in favor of absolute mutilation. Oh, it's going to get ugly, boys and girls. It's going to get so absolutely freaking gross. I'm sorry. I don't want it to be this, but it's going to be this. Schumer's going to hold a vote. Go hold a vote, man can't stop you from creating law, go hold a vote. But here is where Schumer absolutely loses his head.
2: No way accountable to the American people, have lied to the U.S. Senate, ripped up the Constitution, and defiled both precedent and the Supreme Court's reputation. All at the expense of tens of millions of women who could soon be stripped of their bodily autonomy.
0: When Roe v. Wade was voted upon, it was all men on the Supreme Court. Right now, there are three women on the Supreme Court. So one of those women, uh, according to the draft, remember, this may not be real. According to the draft, one of the women uh, is, is in favor uh, of uh, doing away with Roe v. Wade. So when you talk about the millions of women, Chuck Schumer, you yuts, you don't really mean that because there are millions of women Who want to do away with Roe v. Wade? The gaslighting is sensational here.
2: And the constitutional rights they've relied on for over half a century. The party of Lincoln and Eisenhower has now completely devolved into the party of Trump.
0: Do you know how unbelievably stupid that is? I'm sorry. I can't think of a better word. The party of Lincoln... And Eisenhower is now the party of Trump. You're going to give Trump credit for doing away with Roe v. Wade? I mean, how many more ways do you want to try and get this guy re-elected? Good Lord, Chuck! Don't you know you're nuts? Meanwhile, uh, Joe Biden putting out a statement. He's the president of the United States, uh, by the way. Joe Biden, president of the United States. He's, He's, uh he's got a, a tremendous number of 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 things to uh, to tell you right there. I was looking for one of my Joe Biden sounders. I couldn't find it. That's too bad. Oh, so close. We do not know, writes Joe Biden, whether this draft is genuine or whether it reflects the final decision of the court. With that critical caveat, I want to be clear on three points about the cases before the Supreme Court. First, my administration argued strongly before the court in defense of Roe v. Wade. We said that Roe is based on, quote, a long line of precedent recognizing the 14th Amendment's concept of personal liberty against governmental interference with intensely personal decisions. I believe that a woman's right to choose is fundamental, says the Catholic Joe Biden. (laughs) I added that. Roe, he writes, has been the law of the land for almost 50 years, and basic fairness and the stability of our law demand that it not be overturned. He writes more, but so we're clear. This is Joe Biden trying to pressure the Supreme Court. This is the executive branch trying to pressure the judicial branch. This goes back to uh, to Barack Obama saying of the Supreme Court when they were looking at Obamacare, just remember, this was voted on by Congress. Pressuring the Supreme Court. That's exactly what's happening here. This is low-rent trash from the president. Hot, sizzling garbage from President Biden. And yes, indeed, pressure. If the court does overturn Roe, it will fall on our nation's elected officials at all levels of government to protect a woman's right to choose. And will fall on voters to elect pro-choice officials this November. At the federal level, we will need more pro-choice senators and a pro-choice majority in the House to adopt legislation that codifies Roe, which I will work to pass and sign into law. Well, okay. Once again, you are trying to make this an election issue. Hot damn. The political right's going to make it an election issue too. I don't think this is going to move enough Democrats to get them into a place where they, uh, where they get to keep the House. Now, the Senate has always been a little more up for grabs than people give it credit for. The right is absolutely moved by this because they see finally after all these years they can finally get this victory and now the left is going to try and do anything possible to take that away they're going to double down and triple down they're going to double down and triple down now there's more madness out there for sure i should get i should get into this i'm so se cup over there at at cnn the aclu it, it's just madness you know what I, I will share it. I I, I will get into it. May, maybe in the next hour. All right. Just keep it right here. I'm Tony Counts. You can call me anything or anything you want. There's an interesting piece in the IBJ about how the energy secretary, Jennifer Granholm, who I'm not a fan of, was talking about a program to boost the, because uh, they're trying to boost electric vehicle sales, right? And, and they're crazy in, in, in this regard. They have announced a $3.1 billion plan to help U.S. companies that make and recycle lithium-ion batteries. I said, that's interesting, all this for electric cars, but it goes a little deeper than that because they're making the argument that the batteries involve a tremendous amount of rare earth minerals, and those minerals come from China. And by recycling the batteries and building more recycling opportunities, we haven't. We actually are engaged in a national security conversation and we utilize less from China. Now, I have a little more studying to do on this, but I thought it was interesting conceptually. I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. Then I come across a statement out from Congressman Jim Banks of the Indiana 3rd District. The fiscal year 23... Um, Defense Authorization Act priorities. Batteries is the first thing he mentions. Creating a strategy for the DOA acquisitions, uh, acquisition and long-term use for battery technology. Can't deny that it matters. It really does. And so it's interesting. Both these things. We'll take a look at them. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today.